Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer, and I'm one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, an evangelist for the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Today we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul, and Lord willing we'll be talking about Paul in several of the episodes. But Ross, why don't we get started today? Okay. Uh, You know, as a young man, uh, Saul was a man who who only knew uh, his Jewish faith, his heritage, his, his strong Jewish teachings, and it was very normal for him, even as a young man, to be standing by, uh, even watching the servant of God named Stephen uh, being stoned to death. I find it really remarkable that this young man would have been uh, so comfortable with that, consenting to what was happening to Stephen. Uh, he saw seemingly nothing wrong with the persecution that was going on. And so at knowing what becomes of Saul, uh, it is remarkable to see the transformation that uh, God enabled him to undergo and the great work that he was able to accomplish. You know, you mentioned Stephen, and we read about him in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen was appearing before the Sanhedrin, presenting the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they were having none of it. They became extremely angry with him. And as we turn over to Acts chapter 7, beginning, oh, we'll say, we'll begin about verse 51 as Stephen brings it to a conclusion. It says, Ye men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now here's what happens. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that was. Continuing, But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That tells us a little bit about this man uh, who became the great Apostle Paul, and yet he was so 
deeply entrenched in the Jews' religion. As a matter of fact, he had grown up studying at the feet of Gamaliel, according to Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, where it says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. The Apostle Paul, on several occasions, would make the point that he had lived in all good conscience before God unto his day. And here he is, persecuting Christians. Yeah, and I really find it uh, amazing that he could say that he was in good conscience uh, at the time of Stephen's uh, stoning, because in Acts chapter 6, it describes the kind of man Stephen was. He was uh, one of those chosen to serve the needy widows in the church, and they were looking for men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, it says in Acts 6, 8 that he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and signs among the people. I mean, so I, I remember the way Pilate described Jesus. This man hasn't done anything worthy of death. And Saul does not even seem to have that amount of honesty to say uh, Stephen is not deserving of this, that he uh, was fully consenting to Stephen's death seems to me that Saul, if I were to be alive in those days and witness this, I would have thought there's no way that Saul is ever going to to become anything for the Lord. There's no way this man could ever be converted. It's interesting that we find concerning Saul in Acts chapter 9, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So that tells us again the the fervor that this man felt as far as his resistance to the teaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed was punishing those who had embraced it. Yeah, I know, I know in future uh, broadcasts we plan to talk about that conversion. Um, I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about the plan that God has for Saul, because God has picked this man out. He has, he has identified him as his, his servant, and, uh, and so I, I want to talk about some of the things that, uh, that I admire about the servant of God, Saul, who, who later was called Paul, uh, that evidence God's hand in his life, God's hand in his ministry and transformation. These are just some of the things about Saul and the Apostle Paul that I really admire, uh, many of which are applicable today and some of which have helped me greatly in my own ministry. Of course, the first evidence that I think of when, when I look for the hand of God in Paul's ministry is that after his conversion, and he gets into a lot of trouble with the uh, with the ruling class of among the Jews. Uh, he gets arrested, and there is uh, among those who at one time would have been his friends and allies. Now there's this vow that was created that they would neither eat nor drink until uh, Saul had been put to death. 
and of course, how how is this plot against him uh, overcome? But that Saul's Paul's nephew overhears this this plot to uh, to have Paul put to death. And he goes and tells the story, brings the, the, the petition to the Roman commander, and, uh, and Paul is rescued from their hands. And it reminded me how that in times past, God has worked powerfully on behalf of his people, as in the days of Nehemiah, when it says that the enemies of Nehemiah realized that God had brought their plot to nothing. In the days of Job, even Eliphaz rightly taught, he frustrates the plans of the wicked so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. Job chapter 5 and verse 12. And then finally, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 30 says, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. So one of the lessons I learn about Paul is, that you cannot uh, overcome or defeat God's purposes, that he is able to frustrate the plans of the wicked. And so I need not fret today when I become concerned about uh, the powers that exist uh, in, in government or in the world or in anything that seems to threaten the kingdom of, of God. Let's spend a little time talking about the chronology of Paul's life and we will have occasion Lord willing in later broadcasts to go ahead and talk more specifically about these events I'm just going to mention now but apparently we have the conversion of Paul Saul taking place somewhere around 33-34 AD and then there are some silent years but we know that in this time frame of about 35-47 to he went to Arabia and Damascus. In that period of time, he made his first visit as a Christian to Jerusalem and sought to join himself to the brethren, and they were fearful of him. We know he went to Tarsus, and we know that Barnabas went to Tarsus to get him, and together they were in Antioch. And then with Barnabas, they took relief to the brethren in Judea, which was Paul's second visit to Jerusalem. And then they returned to Antioch and were sent out by the brethren in Antioch, Barnabas and Saul, on the first evangelistic journey, which would take place somewhere around 45 to 48 A.D. The next big event that we see talked about related to Saul or Paul by that time was the council, if you can call it that, that took place in the city of Jerusalem in 51 A.D., where they discussed the situation that existed with the Gentiles and their obedience to the gospel and what, if anything, was additionally required of them. Then there was a second evangelistic journey, which took about two to three years and can be dated close to 51 through 54 A.D. And then came the third evangelistic journey, which took four years, 54 to 58 A.D., then he went to Jerusalem again and was arrested and held for two years in Caesarea. And then he would appear before Felix and Drusilla, Festus and Agrippa, makes that famous appeal to Caesar and was sent to Rome. And all of that took place between 57 and 60 AD. The result was the first Roman imprisonment, 60 to 62. Paul would be released from there and be given an opportunity to 
continue to preach the gospel for a little bit longer before he would be arrested the second time, imprisoned in Rome, and ultimately put to death. You know, and in all of this, uh, all of the, these missionary journeys that uh, Greg just described there, the one thing that compelled him was not only his love for God, I guess, but his love for his fellow man. Now, this is the same man who said that if it were possible, he, he would allow himself to be accursed of God uh, in order that his countrymen uh, would be saved. Uh, he's the same man who in 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And the love of Christ is what compels us. And it's this attitude uh, of love for his fellow man uh, that caused him in his ministry to teach the necessity of trying to save, trying to, by whatever means necessary, as long as it's uh, within God's truth, to save all men that could be saved. So he taught that we need to become all things to all men that he might save the more. And when I, when I look at his ministry, I see his willingness to do that. Not just to teach it, but to do it. He was a doer of the word. I see his willingness to uh, serve the Corinthian church and, and to not receive uh, financial support to do so because he knew that there were some among the Corinthians who would have used that against him. I see him willing to become as a Jew in Acts chapter 21 by his willingness to take part in a, a Jewish tradition and carry, carry out a vow that had been made, showing that he was not an enemy to uh, the Jewish identity or Jewish tradition. Whatever he could do that was uh, about which God was indifferent, he was willing to do, even if it meant uh, asking Timothy uh, to be circumcised, uh, even though it was, I guess, Timothy who did the heavy lifting uh, on that. Well, at least not for a few days. So, <laughs> so anyway, I admire that about, about Paul. You know, we're talking about a man who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, an individual who was a strict believer and abider by the law of Moses, and a man who st stood before the Sanhedrin and said, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. So we're looking at a man who has given himself completely over to the service of God in both instances, when he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and then when he would eventually learn the truth, which I think leads us to our next program when we will talk about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> 